Hello and welcome to another episode of Rugby Fixation. However, before I go any further, I should mention that more importantly, this is also the second ever Ruck Inspectors episode, where we cross over with some of the hosts of the Elite Rugby Banter podcast. So joining me to talk rugby and inspect rucks on this very auspicious day is Matt and Phil. Um, guys, how are we going? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Thanks yourself. Yeah. <sighs> oh. Making it through, and Phil, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, first, first rack inspectors for me, so rack inspecting debut. Sounds good. <laughs> well, to do it on the day of PSV's mm, birthday, should... I think, is very fitting. <laughs> only yeah, 36, no, we are saying. Could... So yeah, that I'm makes sure him younger he's, than he's one only... <laughs> So I think he's only a year older than Adam. <laughs> And that's Which the more important the part. Is, yeah. I think that's like the worst. I think I think Adam's 35 this year, so he's only a year older than Adam. So he's still got time, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean Adam's still got time for his illustrious career as a as a 10, as Phil pointed out, he's still younger than Mornay State. Yeah. <laughs> the evergreen. Well, actually, that, that that segues perfectly to um you know a lot of what we'll talk about today. So obviously, um. The Rock Inspectors crossover is pretty fitting because we've had the Springboks squad announcement for the upcoming Lions test, so we'll get to that in a bit. But I, I did want to do my best Adam impression, just try and segue us through some news and discuss some of the rugby from the weekend. So I think it probably makes the most sense to start with the the biggest news, I guess, which was uh, Damien Dielende and Arceus Nyman um, getting superficial burns in a fire-pit incident. So, um, Matt, surely there's some sort of takeaway from that that I'd can't imagine there's too many five pit incidents happening normally in Munster. Is this just bad timing or conspiracy? So, I mean, former British and Irish Lions legend CJ O'Stander was involved in the incident too. <laughs> and also, according to a couple of comments, he has a side business where he sells like barbecue and fire pits, like installations and accessories. So, I don't know if it's just. Poor product placement that's gone horribly wrong, or what happened? But, yeah, <laughs> I think like, he should be an expert on this, right? If he sells them and he, he knows like yeah. all the ins and outs, it can't yeah, be. Yeah. He, he's mean, not the one who burnt everyone. The, the number of jokes, like the number of comments online, are like, "Oh, shame! These folks have spent too much time in Ireland. They can't, they can't buy anymore. Clearly, they don't know how to get around the fire." <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were saying in our group, or I, I, I said, almost jokingly, that someone must have poured petrol on the on the fire, and apparently that's what did happen. Like it just sounds. Yeah, like half an hour later, Delende confirmed. <laughs> it sounds like something out of a punchline, but it happened. It, it's sort of showing the age of the guys, because I forgot how young um, both Snowman and Delende are. But I was thinking, like, five incidents and like throwing petrol. That's sort of like a 17, 18 year old thing, I thought. But um, I mean, you know, this guy's to a Lions test. Good time to uh. You know, try and have a bit of fun, I guess, overseas. But um, the, it's not a great-looking start for them, especially when there's already so many um, players in injury clouds. Um, leading on from that, the other news that I think came out probably just in the last eight hours, which, you know, again, is a concern for the Western provinces, Bongi and Banambi signing with uh, the Sharks. I just I, I don't really know how, um, you know, the Stormers in Western province are going to, Try and stem this flow because they're losing so many players and so many key players. Yeah, it seems like Kitsoff and um, Detroit are probably going to stick around. They're the two stalwarts. But what do we make of the Bongi move to Sharks? Like they've already got enough hookers over there. Like is it just the case of trying to you know get him and into Benny uh, starting separately? 
I think um, it's it doesn't seem like it's sort of planned or coordinated from the top. So I think it's more of a case of um, just Bongi wanting to go to the Sharks. And a lot of it, uh, they've spoken about um, what it, Rock Nation being involved with the Sharks. And he's also joined Rock Nation there like his uh, management team. So I think they're also just trying to bring all these players over. And like you say, the Sharks really have some hookers, but they don't have any sort of senior level, let alone sort of Springbok first choice hookers. So he'll obviously make quite a big impact. But um, in terms of the Stormers or Western Province, they're obviously losing uh, a first choice Springbok hooker. But there is talk about them potentially getting marks back. So, I mean, if they can do that, then that would be great for them. Like just getting marks back anywhere in SA Rugby would be fantastic. He's you know, doing a great job overseas, and I think he made the Japanese top league team of the year. But, um, I mean, I, I quite miss watching him play for the Lions, and I'd like to see him back in South Africa at some degree. Um, I guess just speaking of those teams, it's coming up to the Rainbow Cup final. I think it's probably just between Bulls and Sharks that can actually make it. I think the Sharks need to get yeah. five points uh, this weekend, and keep the Bulls uh, to no bonus points. So a bit of a tough ask. I think um, the last game was 43-9 to the Bulls. Um, is there much of a chance of Sharks actually getting that done, or do you think it's pretty much sealed for the Bulls? I mean, if Andrea hit 100% back the Sharks at this point, <laughs> maybe and with a surprise cameo run on by Keith yeah. Daniel. At, at the same time, if Adam was here, you know he'd be going full on for the Bulls. So. Yeah, <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's interesting. When do the... They still. When do the box leave now? Already, or are they at least playing this round? I, think I remember there is rainbow. Yeah. Because, yeah, they said so this is the last round before they leave. Yeah, it's like reverse curry cup almost, where your spring box leave at the end of the tournament instead of the start, instead yeah. of arriving at the end and like just gra- grabbing all the glory. Because yeah, I know the Bulls have already expressed concerns about having to go to Italy with with a, with a weakened squad. So I think they're fairly confident that they're the ones going to the final. Yeah. I mean, given, like uh, Mitch was explaining, the permutations, if they don't make it from here, they've done something quite wrong to lose by a lot and not get a losing bonus point, you know. So yeah. they're definitely in the driving seat. Um, no, I would be surprised if the Sharks can pull something off. Especially just, I guess, given the nature of their win last weekend, we'll probably get to that. But, you know, they didn't look that comfortable for large chunks of that game against the Stormers. It was just that last try at the end that sort of stuck them ahead, I think, to getting both the bonus point and the win. So, um, yeah, it could have been for a very tight table at the end with even Stormers in contention otherwise. But um, look, moving on from that, I do want to mention um, other teams complain about injuries. The Waratahs recently have um, cried foul because they've got a 20-man injury toll and they've decided that this week they're not going to focus on a win or a loss. They're going to focus on uh, building for next year. Um I mean, like, Phil, with would it be rude 12 to games say that, without a win. Yeah, would it be <laughs> rude it really to say they've been doing that the whole season anyway? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like they started last season. And... <laughs> what I don't get from this as well is they say a 20-man injury toll, but every article I've read on it, they've mentioned about seven players. So these other 13 okay. people that are injured, they must be like squad members or people that wouldn't regularly be getting time in the 23 anyway. So I don't really think it's much of an excuse, I think. The Tars only have a handful of players that are, you know, sort of playing at a good Super Rugby level. So yeah. when they say 20-man injury toll, it's really probably just five that are out that are causing them a few headaches. But I, I don't think they're really in a mm-hmm. position to be winning anyway. Are you sure they're not, like, double-counting some injuries? Like, 
Sansa's yeah. got a hurt ankle and a toe, so that's two injuries. That's at least two. Check. Let's move all, on. Yeah, all they got yeah. to uh, Bell and Johnson Holmes is like three players each. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they, I did. Um, this is a bit of the article that stood out the most was when they said they're missing three Wallabies props, and I was saying they only have two, but of course Tetra Faulkner. Oh gosh, you know, is he got like a cap wonder? Yeah, he's got more caps than uh, Harry Johnson Holmes, I think, which oh, wow. <laughs> is massively concerning. But uh, that had completely set my mind. I'm like, I'm sure they don't have three Wallabies props, and if they do, why are they struggling so much? You know, yeah. at scrum time. But well, I mean, when one of yours is yeah, Faulkner. I mean, but part of yeah. the issue is is their own fault because when they only had uh, Bell and Johnson Holmes and the youngsters, they didn't really give them time. They played these guys for almost 80 minutes. So, you know, they didn't sort of let the youth in. I mean, obviously it's a short season and it's sort of tough to do, but, you know, they ran these guys into the ground, they get injured, and then now they're complaining about it. So, Well, and now I think the Darcy Breen and maybe one of the other front rows they used last week is injured now as well. And it's because they've played, what, probably five combined minutes of competitive yeah, exactly. rugby this year. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough ask to try and transition that. Um, but yeah. speaking of transition, we've got Dan McKellar, who's transitioning from the Brumbies head coach role to the Wallabies assistant coach. So he'll be uh, the forwards coach uh, for the upcoming French series and rugby championship, I believe, before he heads back to Brumbies for next season. So, um, Matt, what do you make of that transition? I mean, I'm pretty stoked as a Wallabies fan to see him get a bit of recognition and some time in there. But um, given he's not the forwards coach for the Brumbies, is it a odd transition or maybe just like grooming for the future? He's the chap with the bucket hat and the beard and the long hair, right? Well, that's Laurie Fisher. So Dan is the head coach. Oh, yeah. sorry, I'm just getting confused between my my Brumby stalwart coaches. Okay, no. Um, <laughs> look, yeah, I don't mind the idea of you know head coaches going over for a short stint and assisting and and sort of it's like a nice it's a good mentoring thing and I think it is as you said like a brush up for. A future, it's like almost like an extended job interview almost for a future role that they must probably earmarking him for the next Wallabies head head coach position. Yeah. It's like we do. I mean, Ninava's come up in replacing Rassi. Dion Davids is sniffing around there constantly as well, so it's likely he's going to be Ninava's replacement. It's like it's nice to see teams that do use that system instead of like the Kiwis who just outright just picked a guy and for five years ignored and didn't bother help <laughs> grooming the good talent that they had as coaches. Yeah, I still think there's so many people that'll be, you know, pissed off that Scott Robertson's not involved with the New Zealand setup. Like he's got you know, what five um, titles on the trot or something like that. Well, like he's isn't he, yeah, he hasn't really yeah. Well, yeah, that's Yeah, it just sort of shows that no matter what he does in New Zealand, they're not going to pick him. Like he has to go and apparently do yeah. something else because That's, he's I think done they all only, he can. Yeah, they only want their their head coaches to have previous international experience at some other lesser side. By the looks of it, you can't just jump up from Super Rugby level to national level in their eyes. Which is he a bit does, weird, right? Yeah. He does help out though, doesn't he? He does assist every now and then. What am I thinking? Like he just consults or pops in every now and then. Like he's not on the on paper, right? Uh, he, he should if he isn't, but that would make sense, I think, just to get his insights, especially with you know the Crusaders making up so much of the All Blacks. Yeah. Um, the other bit of news that's you know, probably quite relevant to what we'll talk about today is Carl Sinclair getting called up to the Lions squad. He was probably one of the players that I guess most people thought was most hard done by to not be in the original squad, either him or Jonathan Davis is the sort of shock omission. So 
He's um, coming in for Andrew Porter, given he's got a toe injury that will see him out for the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess, as Springboks fans, is this a, of any concern? Or because he wasn't in the original squad, it's not really that pressing? Yeah, it's hard to know. Um, like you say, wasn't in the original squad. Perhaps he won't make the sort of Test 23, but anything can happen between now and the first Test match. But, um, you know... If you look back to the World Cup final, one of the huge turning points was his injury, which obviously happened so early. Um, so we didn't really get to see what he could do in a scrumming sense against uh, the Springbok pack. Obviously, his loose play is pretty good, but um, mm. it's it's uh, it's hard to hard to tell what um, what what it brings to the squad at this stage, or if he'll even get to the close to the Test 23. You know, like he, it almost feels like he's destined to be playing that SA Invitational side match at this rate. Yeah, and the, the, that's probably Which the is, scary thing is he seems like the kind of player that feeds off, um, you know, not getting things his own way or having to fight for things. Like he'd take that as a bit of a slight that he's not in the Test 23, and so I'd, I'd nearly be more concerned to see him in that match than in a proper box test. Yeah, for sure. And also from obviously from his disappointment in the World Cup final to be able to almost like right that wrong and have a, mm. a relative like World Cup final for him another big match where he can do what he wasn't able to do like there is that extra drive that would perhaps you know push him on so it will be interesting I mean it adds another layer to you know the narrative and it should be good especially if he like sort of plays in the first warm-up match has an amazing match and then sort of has to force his way in will certainly make a good story, if nothing else. I mean, you, you, you're writing this, this 2021 version of Walking with Lions as you speak here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this um, was the look, plan all along, right? Yeah. Maybe they, they've they've got, they, I mean, they've got excellent footage of him giving that emotional post-match speech as well, like after <laughs> the announcement as well. Christ. I don't know what to believe anymore, Matt. Like, was it all scripted? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kevin's broke, ruined us. <laughs> I think worked. Gatlin's been skimming this from last year too. He, he went the zero and eight with the Chiefs just to try and build up this narrative of not being able to coach, and this is—it's all coming full circle now. This is—it's a scary time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were there any other news stories worth uh, discussing? Or should we get into the uh, Trans Tasman results from last week? Um, yeah, I think that should be about it from my side. I mean, we saw Bongi. Oh, wait. Yes, massive news. Speaking of the Sharks signings earlier, um, the Sharks, thanks for bringing this to my attention, actually. The Sharks, not only have they signed Bongi, but they are also eyeing up former Kings legend Lionel Cronier to fill in their ranks as well for Curry Cup while they're missing a total of 10 players to the Springbok squad. And Matt's very excited. Uh, Lionel Cunier for the Kings was possibly their best performer during those times where they made a name for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. He did that. It was was just him, uh, Maratelli, and um, was it Chris Clovett, the back rower? Yeah, Yeah. they they sort of seemed like the the three standouts for the Kings during those times. Yeah. Yeah, Basically, yeah. I mean, Cunier was just. So he's one of those sort of. Zero, zero, like long-term strategy flyers. It's like, what, what ridiculous shit can I pull off right now in this moment? What's not, what's best <laughs> for the match long-term? <laughs> and I think so. The 
the South African Quade Cooper? Is that yeah, essentially. Of- I mean, essentially. I mean, remember that, Phil. Remember that, like, where I think it's was it the same year where Lates did that sit down pass where Cronier did that like around the back, looped it around his shirt and popped it out the, mm. from the wrong end pass to offload a try. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was something like that. How you described, but then um, they also showed like that it wasn't just a one-time fluke thing because I had footage from school or from like under no, like, 20 level like, or something where he did exactly the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is like a technique of his where like he dummies right and I think he like with his right hand like palms the ball behind his back and like pops it out <laughs> on his left hand side. It looks so ridiculous. And then the other wing just like dotted it down on the left. Like straight through and up through better. Yeah. Oh, good work I mean, for the Sharks for the signing then. I'm, I'm keen to see him back in because yeah, he's been carry rugby. Yeah, because he's been playing in Japan. What side is he? Yeah. I think he's at the same side as Vili Leroux and Hooper and yeah. Reed and those guys. Um, yeah, maybe, think, maybe Toyota Birdlets. I think it's Toyota. Yeah. But yeah, he's been generally. I think for a while he was starting, but I think he's been mostly bench fly off. I think for most of the season, More like utility back. Well, I was keen to see him play again then, because he um, he actually was quite exciting. One of those players that you'd pick up in fantasy, not really knowing what to expect. But he'd yeah. normally see either you know rocks or diamonds. But you're pretty happy on his own week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, we'll get into the trans Tasman because plenty of big games. Um, the Aussie side is still not really living up to uh, what they promised in the Super Rugby AU, but still some good results and probably the closest round of results if you take away the Waratahs. Um, I mean, even Crusaders, if you include the Waratahs, it's I think their closest result, isn't it? A 36-point loss isn't, yeah, it's, it's not, <laughs> what's, what's it's the, actually not uh, that bad. What's difference at the moment, yeah, is it like almost have, negative? Have they hit that fable too, uh, ben, ben wanted to know last week, have they hit 200 points against yet? Oh, so yeah, yeah, they're well four past games, that. right? Yeah. Yeah, four I games in. They, have they put 50 on every game? I think yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're one or two that are like 40-something, yeah, yeah. They're averaging... Jeez, <laughs> like 57 points a game. Wow. So they've had 225 points against um, oh, compared to the Blues' 58. Jeepers. So, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, even the next worst is the Reds, who have had a few shockers, and they're about 60 points better. Wow. You, Mitch, if oh, you went I'm back assuming... to the beginning of the stadi- uh, season, do you do you think they would have done better than this? I know, like... I think, if I remember correctly, you thought that they would come last of the out of the Super Rugby AU teams, but would it be this bad? No, no, never. I, I thought that Taz were um, going to come last because they just have such a young side. But yeah, you know, it's still a pretty young side to turn up every now and then. Probably, I would have thought they would have got one of the wins against the Force, maybe against the Rebels if they had you know one of the fixtures at home there. I guess against the Kiwi sides it was going to be tough, but I definitely didn't see the side going. You know, completely out of it, especially because I think they um, they had a four-point loss and a three-point loss to uh, the Force and Rebels. So I thought they could have been a tiebreaker, but it just shows the um, inexperience of the side and probably the coaches as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll we'll get to the Tarzan because they're the one that's probably you know the most to unpack or I guess the most to leave alone, depending on how sick of it the Tars fans are. But the Crusaders beat the Force twenty-nine to twenty-one. Um, and it was 24-14 at halftime, so the Force actually won the second half in a sort of surprising result. But the Crusaders are just so much better, um, pretty much in every facet, that they didn't really need to be on for that much of the game. 
Um, they had less ball. They had less clean breaks, less defenders beaten, less offloads. They conceded more turnovers and penalties. Um, but still, they ran for about four metres for every run, whereas the force were just above two metres per run. But it is so much more damaging. And even with the Fergus Burke inclusion, who's a very steep drop-off from Mwanga, they, they looked definitely good enough to put the force away. Um, guys, from watching this, was there any, I guess, hope or did you think there was any chance the force were going to come back for this one or was it pretty much Crusaders from from the get-go? I mean, I, I want to be optimistic and say that the force the force were clearly the best side in Australia and there was maybe a this, but no, realistically, I think the Crusaders must probably realise how close it was and then just put their foot down and made sure that it was it was their game and won. They're like one of those teams that can just decide, okay, we're going to win the game now. Yeah, yeah but, but at the same time, it, I mean, it's like you were saying, it certainly wasn't a vintage Crusaders performance. And just from the mm. scoreboard, obviously, it was a late force try which um, denied the Crusaders the bonus point. But which I think just, is the which is yeah. the most important part for <laughs> Trans Tasman, especially for Phil. Yeah, but um, I mean, the the even though they rested a few of their frontline players like Moanga and Whitelock and some of these other guys, they just didn't look great. Yeah, obviously Jordan scored a couple of tries, but even Jordan, he was sort of dropping the ball a bit and um, not just not like things weren't sticking. So in terms of going forward and having that fluidity and coherence, like it doesn't look great. And obviously they have to win with a bonus point this weekend. Otherwise they might not even make the final. So it's certainly not looking great for the Crusaders. I mean, I think the Crusaders have the Rebels this week, don't they? So winning with a yeah. bonus point, I think, <laughs> pretty it's easy. Pit. Yeah, so it might um, all yeah. come down to Highlanders, yeah. Yeah, I think it is all down to the Highlanders, essentially. But don't they also not have a terrible matchup? Uh, Highlanders against Brumbies, so that's probably uh, yeah, one of the more interesting one, ones. Yeah, yeah I'm lucky I... For... <laughs> I have faith. <laughs> I do too, but it's still an unfortunate matchup. Um, with the Crusaders game, the only other thing I was going to say, there was a lot of talk um, throughout the weekend. The Pick and Drive Rugby podcast brought up a fair bit just about how the backs are so much heavier. Um, the, the bit that I found odd, so the Crusaders' back line is 35 kilos heavier. So, you know, five kilos a player is pretty significant. But then when I was looking through it, the centres, um, both Godwin and Kurandrani are heavier than Havillian Enor. Godwin ran 12 times for five meters, Kundrani 10 times for two meters. So, you know, so literally zero punch. Um, Havili had seven runs for 61 meters and all three runs for 21. They're making clean breaks and defenders beaten. So it's not just about size. It's also just skill and putting them into place. I, I don't re- I don't really know what excuse um, the size can use anymore because we can say that they're heavier or faster or all these other things. That, like, it really just boils down to they're all just quite a bit better at the moment. Yeah, I mean, so, to, be, to be honest, this, yeah, I think the best way to put it is just that the Crusaders are quite a lot better than the Force, and even on a bad day, yeah. which it was, <laughs> you know, they're still going to grind out the result just because they're that much better. So efficiency with the ball, it's always going to happen if you're better, no matter how strong or fast or uh, or, or anything else you might be. Yeah, the ball efficiency was a big one. Um, Bryn Hall was saying that 105 of the team's tackles, so... It was a bit over um, 70% of the tackles. They made inside their own 22. So that's so many tackles to be making 
you know, so close to your line, but to only concede, really, I think, two tries from it, because the other try from um, uh, from Oliver Fellow was, you know, off-broken play off a kick through. So mm. I, I just don't know how the force don't have any punch to them. Like, that, that seems incredibly, you know, poor returns to have that much attacking time in the 22 and not be able to do anything with it. Yeah. Um, but I, I could drive myself crazy trying to think of the ways the force <laughs> I mean, aren't doing I, it as well. I think that uh, their most dangerous player at the beginning, I think, looked like it was Tony Pulu, and then he had to go off injured. Because so, he, he obviously scored a try, but he also had a, a another break, I think. So he, he was getting ball and actually looking dangerous, but then obviously yeah. going up early didn't help their cause in the second half. This is uh, Wallaby's eligible Tony Pulu as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got his name thrown around a lot recently for... I guess no, two good games. Most of the guys from the draft rugby podcast generally upset about that idea as well. Yeah, I, I, I liked uh, Nelson's list online of um, I think there's about twelve players, including three props, that would be better <laughs> wingers than Pulu yeah. for the Wallabies, which is you know, yeah. fair enough at the time being. I mean, um, one of them was from Masili, which I definitely think is a good call. Yeah, well, he's basically uh, Nayaravaru with a better haircut, so. I don't mm-hmm. see why they can't try him on the wing. It will be fun if nothing else. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, come on, they've the... got one game left. Let's do it next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one last hour against the Crusaders. What could go wrong? Um, the next game was the Blues beating the Reds 31-24 to at Suncorp. Um, it was 17-7 to at halftime, and I think the two tries that the Blues got um, just before halftime because of the Pangaramosa yellow card kind of sealed the game. Um Without that, the teams were looking fairly even, but um, yeah, there was just no way that the Reds were going to get by. And they were actually pretty lucky to not get penalised more, just with how poorly they were trying to sack those um, malls. But really, for me, so much of the Blues' uh, success at Trans-Tasman, I mean, other than versing Australian sides, has been Zan Sullivan at fullback. Like, his kicking game has been unreal, I've thought, just creating pressure. And he's, he's sort of epitomised the difference between uh, New Zealand teams and Australian teams when it comes to, you know, actually doing something when you're kicking the ball. Um, so looking through this, I think line-outs are an issue as well. And, you know, Reds players kept on with the ball and not really, you know, being able to do much with it. But this is probably one of the closest, um, one of the teams that come to a surprise. Also, was there any part of you thinking that the Reds were going to come back and get this one, Matt? Or, you know, the Blues looked the better team from the start? I'm going to be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch this one, which I'm disappointed in, because it did, from the highlights it did look... So obviously I'd seen the results, but yeah, from the highlights it looked like it could have been a quite a... It could have been a game where I might have might have been tricked into the Reds pulling it off. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the Reds, they've probably been um, one of the more disappointing sides coming to this. I think just the handling of the Highlanders game and then how poorly they performed in the Crusaders match... Oh. sort of tarnished how, I guess, or skewed how their results look in the trans because they're mm. not really clicking other than that uh, win against the Chiefs, and even that has the asterisk of the red card. Um, but Phil, for the bits uh, you saw of this match, oh. are the Blues finally clicking? Like, is this their time to make a final and, you know, if the Crusaders aren't in it, you know, potentially win it as well? I think they could definitely win. They've just sort of um, transformed so much from... Um Aotearoa into Trans-Tasman, not just obviously facing different opposition and Australian teams, but like you say, Zahn Sullivan at fullback, he's been part of the difference, but he's not been the only difference. Like, they're just playing such um, smarter rugby as well. Like, they're utilizing their forwards in a better way. Obviously, they have, you know, huge forwards, especially relative to the teams around them. 
and um, when they when they had Perrapetta at fullback, and they even had uh, Caleb Clark, who's obviously an amazing player, but both um, Bryce Heem and the other guys who have come in, they've shown like more than the Blues wings were showing in the whole of the the previous competition. So I think they definitely have a chance of going all the way. And um, yeah, but this game was really good. Like it seems like the Reds, a few of their players have dropped off quite a lot, but um, someone like Harry Wilson, he seems like he's finally getting back into form. So you have a couple of guys like Wilson. I think Dalgunu had Dalgunu had a good game, but then. Um, some other guys, it seems like they're just uh, falling off in terms of form. I know like Fraser McWright was really good for the whole of um, AU, and now he's been dropped completely, and he was a really big part. Um, I don't know if having Liam Wright back, even though he's you know their captain, it's sort of um, it feels to me like they lose something and they lose Treo bringing Wright in as like a straight swap. Yeah, they've they've struggled to try and find the right balance, I think, because. I think at the start of the season, everyone thought Angus Scott Young would be the one to miss out yeah. uh, when Wright comes back, but he's probably been one of their more solid players. Like he does so much of the, you know, annoying work around rucks and the grunt he's work, probably yeah. got, yeah, he's probably got one of the better tackle percentages out of the Reds players as well. Like he just gets involved so much with contact, so it's hard to fit um, the the four of them in there. And you're right, the balance probably was that bit better for the AU comp. But I think as well as that, the New Zealand sides just attack the rucks a lot. Um, well, with a lot more intellect. They're just hitting at the right times and knowing when to disrupt the ball. And it's something that, you know, with Wright being out of the game for so long and uh, yeah. Fraser McWright not having really played against many super rugby sides, um, they're probably just struggling with a little bit. But, I, again, I think so much of it comes down to not having any gap between the two tournaments. Um, even just a week off in between to freshen the legs. Because players like McDermott and uh, Paisami that haven't really had much time off since... Looked really good at the start of Super Rugby AU and now probably just looking a little bit more uh, human. Yeah. And obviously um, O'Connor pulling out. And I think they had uh, Hegarty also pulling out just before kickoff. So late kickoffs will mm. obviously affect any team. So that was unfortunate for them. It was funny because, yeah, the back line had so many shuffles, but it was kind of the forwards that um, lost it for me. I, I think Pangaramosa missed four of his lineouts, something like that. Like, it just threw the ball aims and just in really crucial moments too. So even though he sort of made it up with a try, the forwards just weren't anywhere near as, um, I guess, solid as it should be. And it's probably one of the bits that the Blues have um, surprised most teams with is because everyone's sort of looking at, you know, their back line and all the attacking weapons they've got. But they've pretty quietly built um, a really solid uh, forward pack that's, you know, good in set piece but also pretty good in the loose as well. And, yeah, uh, it comes back, like there was a comment at the beginning of the season which said, you know, the Blues are sort of like a South African team and their forward pack sort of shows that, you know, like just big and strong and powerful. I, f- I find it so weird. They, they seem to offended by that comment. I, I, they they came out and tried to... massively offended by that. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. I'm like, oh, you're getting compared to what's well, regarded as the best test forward pack, you know, in the world. Um, you know, you, you could probably take that <laughs> quite well, I would have thought, but um, you know they, they weren't having any of it. They wanted to make sure they were definitely not uh, the best. They wanted to keep their status. Yeah. Right. So I, I think in before we move on, I just want to ask oh, you yeah. about the Reds. Um, how do you feel now that Tupo is getting his first new pair of boots in four years? Apparently, <laughs> I I can't see did how. Did you see that on Insta today? I did, but I, I can't. I can't buy into it. I can't believe it. Like, with 135 kilos or 
probably more when he you know, first started playing. I don't see how they've survived that long. Surely he's, he's rotated through. Is he... Well, apparently he's just taped the shit out of them because I. But I mean, I remember <laughs> how I'd, I'd stripped how many stud. Yeah, by the my, I think my last pair I had like half the studs were still there because the rest I just stripped the holes from and I just was stubborn about replacing replacing the studs in the end. But yeah, no, I, I find it a bit ridiculous. That I'm sure, we can do a good investigation. Surely, surely, the, surely, like, the, don't you guys have sponsors in that who would have bought him? bought him a pair of boots well this like could be a great way for us to compete with rock nation the rock inspectors could uh be the official sponsors of tanny latupo you know, i'd be happy to buy Maybe. him a pair of boots each year yeah yeah who, um i know one of the guys on egg chasers he when he was playing club rugby i think he bought he bought a pair of boots at the start like a shit brand but the but from a place that has i think a 12-month return policy, and you just sort of, <laughs> just as the new year would start, you'd just be like, no, these are fucked, mate. <laughs> like, replace replace these tugs every season. So he bought one and, like, basically played eight years with fresh boots every season. So despite the grass stains, despite all the rips and tears, they're like, yeah, no, I, I bought them like this. So I, I, I can't really, they just had the well, best I mean, return policy in the world. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. The store has just apparently just had, like, the worst for their themselves return <laughs> policy at like 12 months or something. He's like, I oh, know these are fucked. Like, okay, well, we're going to take them back. That's our policy. Well, get on for exploiting the system. I'm yeah. Nobody get my boots from well, there. They weren't, they weren't great boots. Either. Like, they were terrible boots by the sound. Like, all by all accounts, they were like terrible boots. But, like, <laughs> three boots. He essentially bought one pair for 10 years or, or something <laughs> stupid. So. Well, look, the team that's going to uh, need not just new boots, but new players, I think they've already said they're robbing the shoot shield as the Waratahs. They come up against, um, well, they're sorry, they came up against the Highlanders and lost 59 to 23. Um, this game was a pretty interesting as well because the Waratahs have been the one side that have probably taken the points on offer um, consistently throughout Trans Tasman. There was a bit of a Rebels uh, move throughout the AU competition, but the Tars have sort of stayed in the game with the penalties and. Um, they weren't looking too bad. I think it was 33-23 uh, at halftime. So they were right in it. But then just four um, unanswered tries to the Highlanders. They didn't really look like firing um, at all. A lot of it was down to Paraki coming off injured. Uh, their lineup went to shit, really, because uh, Robbie Abel came in for his first start this year. And I don't think he played last year either. And he just clearly had missed uh, a lot of the lineup training. But then also just they're still quite reliant on just bits of magic happening, like Parisi either, you know, breaking three tackles and getting a line break sort of out of nowhere or um, some sort of miracle ball, uh, finding Maddox or Nwankanitawasi in space. But, I I mean, it's still going to be tough for them to try and get too many points on the board or, you know, too much ad line when they're not winning their line outs, when they've got inexperienced locks and they've got Alex Newsom out on the wing. So um, I guess the question from this, the game for the Tars was quite dreadful. Do you think they got a chance to get a win next week? I think against the Chiefs. I think that's their last game. So is there a world in which they get a win? <laughs> um, I don't really think there is. Uh, obviously, there's a tiny chance in anything, but I think a hundred times they may get like one or two Um Perhaps if the Chiefs feel like they've got nothing to play for and they just rest all of their 
first team players and something like that. Otherwise, I don't know. Like last season, even the Waratahs, sometimes I would think they blow so hot and cold that when they blow hot, they have a chance to win. But this season, it feels like they're struggling with that. And even though they scored, you know, 30-something points this weekend, 23 points, um, and they have these moments like Maddox scoring nice tries or Peruzzi breaking through, they just don't look like they're capable of putting together like a 40-minute performance, let alone an 80-minute performance. So unfortunately, for you know all the Waratahs fans listening, I would say there's almost no chance of them pulling off a win against the Chiefs. <laughs> Ooh, uh, we do have a very Waratahs heavy <laughs> audience, so that's um, <laughs> that'll be music to the ears for their uh, commute to work. Um, there's probably not much more to say on that game, so we'll move to the the highlight of the round, which was the Brumbies beating the Hurricanes 12 to 10. And realistically, this was you know very lucky for the Brumbies. They, they played well, but um, three missed Geordie Barrett penalties in the second half, one right at the start of uh, the second half, and then two at the death. Um, two of them were very kickable as well, so. I think he'll be sort of ruining those opportunities, but a nice win um, for the Australian sides to sort of get that one over the Kiwis. Um, Matt, did you see many of the highlights from this game? We'll see this game, and what was your takeaway? Like, was it a deserved win for the Brumbies? I think, yeah, no shame. They, they, they deserve to win eventually, and it kind of sucks that it wasn't the Canes, but yeah, I think this was was a good one, and I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to blame Karifi, but Fuck, he's an idiot, and, <laughs> and I feel like it, he deserve the Canes deserve to be the side to lose to the Brumbies, especially for keeping Kariefi on the books. Um, but yeah, overall, I think yeah. Let me just say, I do think that this was the one that the Brumbies should should have won and deserved to win. It's a nice, but this is also, I mean, that scoreline's a typical Brumbies win scoreline as well. Like if you remove Falafa Inga's rolling mall tries, like. Old old Brumbies was low-scoring games where they just camped on your line and stopped you from getting anywhere either. Like it was just, so it like felt like an old Brumbies game before they discovered the rolling more. Yeah, for sure, the the score actually, like if you looked at it a few years ago, you'd guarantee that it would have been four penalties and not, um, you know, two tries and a conversion. But it was a a nice little pickup win for them. Um, the nice thing I guess out of this game. Len Nicotero just had that one really great break. It was really against the run of play because I think uh, Nick White had just come on and gave him a ball, but he sort of beat three defenders out of nowhere and didn't really beat any more defenders the rest of the night, but it was kind of ridiculous to see that. Um, I, I can't tell. He's sort of running hot and cold. Bruce has come into the discussion very quickly about a Wallabies 13. I still kind of like it, but yeah. it just, th- those moments seem quite um, few and far between. It seemed like he started the season really well, and then he's sort of... Like you said, he's blown cold quite a lot recently, I think. Uh, again, he's one of these guys who struggle, has struggled to make the step up against the New Zealand opposition. But um, that moment where he scored that try just sort of showed that he definitely has it in him. So, um, yeah, maybe may, maybe he is a prospect for higher honours. He's certainly... Um, Parisi's one who, who looks exciting as well, but, you know, he's also... Um, he's got issues... Uh, and it, the consistency also is potentially questionable. Yeah, they, they, I think that's the thing. Is Bruce Ikata, they're both quite um, inexperienced. Obviously, neither of them capped. Bruce is a bit older, but yeah, still, either defensive frailties and you know inconsistency and in attacks going to be 
bit of an issue that plagues them. So I'm keen to see them get some game time split between them um, in the French series. Uh, we'll wrap up the transaction with the Chiefs versus the Rebels. The Chiefs ended up winning 36-26. Um, the Chiefs looked good for the first 20 and then finished relatively strong, but just didn't really put away a side that they, they should have. And I think the coaches come out and said as much. I think Clay McMillan came out after the match and said, uh, we need to be beating teams like this or putting away teams like this, which was a nice dig at the Rebels after a, a tight win. Um, but again, it's sort of the same story. The Chiefs kicked the ball um, a lot more. They just kicked it better. They had less ball. And yet, I think the stat that stood out the most, um, just looking at the outside back, so numbers 11 through to 15, uh, the Chiefs ran the ball 63 times for 400 metres, and the Rebels ran it 30 times for 180 metres uh, the Chiefs had 12 clean breaks and 19 defenders beaten to two clean breaks and six defenders beaten for the Rebels' backs. So just, again, a stark contrast. And they're not that much heavier. They're not much bigger. It's just the skill um, of those New Zealand sides and what their backs can do seems to be the biggest um, differentiator and why they're stacking up so many points against the Aussie side. So, um, Phil, did you get to see much of this game? And it, what was your takeaway? Was it a bit of a disappointing game for the Chiefs? Or should they be quite happy to have you know, snuck away with that one? I, th- I think there were parts where they would be very happy. Like uh, at halftime, um, or just before halftime, I think Rebels scored just before halftime. And without that try, they were sort of looking comprehensively comfortable. And, um, you know, Anton Leonard Brown scored two very nice tries in the first half. And I saw something like, uh, he, he's before this, he had scored one try in his last sort of 12 matches or something. So to see him sort of push forward and, and make an impact, and then having Quintifier back as well as his first game back from injury. There were definitely some positives, but yeah, like their coach said, the main issue was just that they couldn't put it away properly and that they let the Rebels back in very easily. I think um, the Rebels' tryouts just sort of seemed very soft and not necessarily against the run of play, but um, just a lot easier than the Chiefs made their own tries look and for how much they sort of were dominating. So definitely disappointing, but at the same time, um, positives to take away from it. And Matt, did you see this game? Is there any hope for the, the Rebels, you think, claiming a win next week, or they're destined to go through Trans-Tasman without a win as well? Um, given they're against the Crusaders. Did they're playing next week? <laughs> yeah, no, given yeah. against the, the Crusaders. I just needed to reconfirm yeah. the picture. No, they're fucked. Yeah. But they yeah, have the support of everyone else think, because we all want the Crusaders to lose. So. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like we're all like, yeah, cool, go Rebels. Um, just like I don't know, get like somehow deny the the Crusaders a bonus point. I think is the best we can hope for from them. I mean, if they've got to move it inside center again, they might struggle because he his form's just fallen off a cliff. I think he missed eight tackles. Um, so abysmal. Uh, I'm so glad uh, I dropped him. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just I don't get because he, he started the season as one of the safe players. He was the one you'd sort of think you could at least rely on to be as smart and make uh, sound decisions for the Rebels. But five from 13 tackles, he gave away three penalties and turned the ball over twice. Um, I mean, he's sort of in the rare position of playing himself out of the Wallabies spot. You would have thought he and um, O'Connor would sort of be the linchpins for that back line, just setting up and steering around the young talent. Mm. But I'd, at the moment, I'd, I'd rather not have him in that starting 15, I think, uh, you know, just based off how he's tracking. I think with the test conversation, it's, it's probably time. We should talk about the Springboks because I realise I've spoken for too long about um, all the trans and I'd rather get into this. 
The Springboks squad Conference. got announced over the weekend. I think they ended up naming 46 instead of the 45 players they said they would, but um, I, I won't go through yeah, each player. I think they've though. already retracted. They've already retracted for Milan, I think, now. So. Ah, okay, so his name's off the list then. I think that's his injury. something that they've already... Re- like, they were just like, okay, his injury is too injured now, so they... Ah, okay. It. So I think it is back down to 45 then officially. So that's one of the big issues. Are they are coming in with a few players under injury cloud. So obviously, um, Lou Diego and Arceus Nyman were the two big ones for the locks. Uh, Herschel Yanchis, I think, got injured was last week or two weeks ago as well. And it seems like his will be quite a intense injury. And then, um, you know, with Vermeulen out, potentially uh, Dillande missing a bit of game time or training, depending on how serious the, the burns are. So a, a few issues. Oh, I won't list every player in the squad just because... There's so many of them. I'll put the I mean, photo up on um, like, Twitter, but yeah, it's. I was say, it sounds like this. It will sound like the start of the New Testament, or just a list of yeah. like 50 names. <laughs> That's the thing. We're trying to keep um, trying to keep it slightly short. So what I thought I'd do instead of listening through everyone, I just want to discuss, I guess, some of the key areas for that Springbok squad. I guess firstly, um, what what positions do you think you're most concerned about? Um, so Matt, I'll start with you. Are there any positions you've seen the squad, like any positions where you think maybe it's a little thin or you'd like um, a few more reinforcements? So true to form, I'm going to start with props and I'm thoroughly gutted that they've decided to find space for Kuni Oosthuizen in that 46-man squad. <laughs> and they really should have not put him in there. Because no, yeah. we've got... Because he's technically then loose head cover, which is apparently his dead yeah. side. Well, that's saying he's been getting folded on the loose head. So I I don't really yeah. get his but inclusion, I especially mean, it when... Sounds, you... It's stereotypical of me to complain about it, but it, it's, <laughs> like, it's such a poor choice. And I mean, it's bizarre bring to him me over too, here. Yeah. Rather bring... Well, I just um, think what's his face? Um, Gumboka. Gumboka, yeah. Or, or what's... His um, or Satole even, you know. Yes, yes. I'm thinking Lions shit. Because yeah, him and Nacho together would look hilarious because it's just like cubic human beings. I've seen in a prop. It's just like a cube with a little head on top. And I think Satole is not far off that shape either. Well, a, I, I do think they're, uh, the props are solo. I, just, I was surprised that Connie made it of the others, maybe the amount of minutes he's played over the Premiership was, was some sort of yeah, benefit, it, or maybe I think just... it's one of those. I think it, yeah, that it's someone who's at least had some more game time against foreign players, most probably. Um, I think so besides any other positions, Koch is the only foreign-based prop, actually. Which is pretty solid because I, I, I like the look of those props. Like really, Kishoff is the form loose head in the world still. I think. Um, you still got uh, Franz Malherber, who was you know packing down there for the Rugby World Cup, and he's pretty immovable. Um, I'd be happy with Ox on the bench and um, Trevor Niakani, just given he got ruled out with injury through part of the World Cup, I think. Um, so it'd be nice to see him get you know some solid game time because he as well, um, not as good in the loose, I guess, as um, the two loose heads, but just very solid scrummages, which is what they want against the Lions. You can also groove like the best of them. You watch that highlights reel of him just breaking it down. 
True that. So outside of the props, were there any other positions, I guess, that you thought um, could be, I guess, maybe an unfavourable matchup against the Lions? I mean, depending on, as you brought up earlier for me, another one is locks, depending on injuries, because otherwise we're looking at some, like, hilarious mismatches if, like, guys don't get well early enough. And we're ending up with, like, Okay, Eben, I think, fit. So, like, we'll have Eben and then, like, maybe if we're lucky or, like, worst-case scenario, Marvin, are you running out against the Lions? But it's not an ideal situation now. So, I think at the moment, mm-hmm. given fitness, having Itzabeth and Mostert starting um, makes sense. But with injuries to Sneeman and Lurt, yeah. that means it's very quickly down to Ori, who Ori on his day is fine, but he's also one of those guys who he can do something that is stupid in the first minute and then he'll just have the worst game in the world because he'll try and like sort of make up for his error and just keep getting worse and worse. Um, So he could be a bit of a liability for sure if he's pushed into the starting lineup. Um, And then for me, the other big one with Dwayne's injury is just who is going to replace him. Like, there are a lot of loose forwards who are good in the squad, but he's just pretty much irreplaceable. Like, he provides such a balance to the whole um, team by having um, such good presence at the ruck in terms of um, in terms of looking for turnovers, but also that physicality. So if you put someone like um, Marco Finstaden or Quacha or even... Dan Dupre or Jean-Luc, one of these new guys, they don't just don't bring enough mm. that it's it's going to just throw out the balance quite a lot. So I'm very interested to see how they will, you know, replace him. I think Jesper Visa is an exciting one, perhaps one of the sort of more natural replacements, but he's just so green. Obviously, one, one good season yeah. in England, had a half a good season for the Cheetahs, no international experience. So... It would be a huge call to throw him straight in, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Look, this is probably Rassi a good time to bring. Nino oh, sorry, you go, Matt. Like, I was going to say Rassi or Nino is probably not the guys who would be afraid of throwing someone like Jasper into the starting lineup if he was their best option. Like they, they seem like the kind of guys who would back an uncapped player. Well, I probably in my. Uh, Best 15 had him at number eight with the Mullen out, but it's probably a good time to bring Alex Tarr into the conversation because he's put together um, the probable box side and his thoughts on the squad as well. And he had Dan Dupreer at um, number eight, which, I mean, it's a fair shout because he's a you know very solid player and he's got a bit more experience. Um, he's still quite young, but he's got a few test caps and, you know, looks quite good. But the feedback from him overseas is he's just so trigger-happy with offloads and, you know, when you do them that often, mm. like some of them look amazing, but then 80% of them um, don't really come off the way you probably want. And whether that's maybe a bit too loose for a Test match arena, um, it, I think the Georgia Test matches will be interesting to see who gets the game time at number eight. And, you know, maybe which way they end up going because if they can get some game time to Visa quite quickly and see that he's good enough, that'd you know be quite a nice film. But yeah, it's a massive loss. Because the number eight spot has sort of been his for the last few years. Um, Phil, I guess I'll go to you then. What position are you happiest with? Because when I um, when I saw the line squad come out, 
I think a lot of people, um, myself included, were thinking how strong that was. But really, when I saw the Springboks name there, 46, mm. I actually think they're probably quite a bit stronger across the board. They seem to have quite good depth. So is there a position that sticks out as, um, you know, the, the one you're happiest with? I don't know uh, if necessarily a specific position, but just having the consistency from the World Cup through to this um, the, this Lions tour now, just not losing any significant players. So obviously, there's been uh, one or two retirements, but pretty much having the same, almost the same 23 from that test, barring one or two retirements. You know, Beast and uh, Francois Lowe have retired, but being able to pretty much play, you know, you look at having Faf Pollard, De Allender, barring his fire pit injuries, and I'm um, outside mm-hmm. him, and then Colby, Mapimpi, and Vili, like, all of these guys seem like they've been playing decently, even if it's been in Japan or Ireland or anywhere else. Um, so having that consistency all the way through is just something, even, like, from one World Cup to another year, and now, obviously, with... Um, COVID and the pandemic and everything that's happened. That's such such a luxury. So obviously the locks and their injuries are the most immediate concern, but I think just being able to pretty much have the same squad. And um, I think it does also speak volumes that everyone from the World Cup who was able to be called up was called up. So they're really keen to keep that consistency going. Yeah, that was fantastic news to see how um, much of that side they kept together. I think it was just Halant who had the injury that they've not been able to select. But, um, yeah, it's great to see so many of them go through. And it kind of makes sense, I guess, given they weren't able to play any test matches in 2020. Um, and they want to make sure they've got some sort of you know, consistency with that side and some sort of cohesion. I guess that brings me to the question that's um, I'm most interested in because they've got the two warm-up games against Georgia before the series starts. Do you want to be seeing the Springboks play their their best team against Georgia? Like, should they just be trying to get Test minutes into what they consider their best team, or is this a chance to maybe give some of those uncapped or low-capped players a bit of time, um, you know, in between, uh, I guess, uh, Faf and Dierlande and players that probably will play quite a large part in the Test matches? Yeah, I think you have to uh, give the your ideal starting team the minutes just because of the lack of yeah. other match preparation like uh, any other time an opportunity to play test matches against Georgia with no offense to Georgia but uh, they're not quite on the Springboks level so that would be a great time to blood some youngsters to give players international experience but just because these are literally the only two games before playing against the British and Irish Lions you sort of have to get your uh, team straight in and I think whether it's Dan Dupreer, whether it's Jasper Visa, whoever they plan to play as the eighth man in the test series, they need to mm. play with, you know, presumably Khaleesi and Peter Stiff and Luce Trier and get that yeah. going in both of the Georgia matches. I think in the SAA match, you can let the rest of the squad get some game time. And I think it sort of does suck if you're someone like, um, you know, uh, I don't know, like Corbis Reynach, for example, who may not even make the 23 or if he's, if he's lucky to be on the bench behind Faf um, and not get a lot of game time at all. But, you know, yeah. it's unfortunately, uh, given everything that's happened, you can't sort of be nice about this. You just have to try and prepare as well as you can for what is going to be a tough test series. 
And Matt, you're on board with that as well. You think they should be going full strength against Georgia? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, as Phil said, yeah, get you, those guys need them because there most probably are going to be one or two new combinations like at eighth man we're looking at someone new in that. So, like, those partnerships and those pairings are going to need to learn how to gel with each other as well. So, you're going to have to get those to work as quick as possible. So, yeah, whoever is there, Dan or Jasper, has to play all 80 minutes or all 160 minutes, essentially. And I guess, um, aside from Vermeulen, who will be out and, um, you know, Beast, who will swap with Kitschoff, is there any changes to the team that won the Rugby World Cup final? Um, like, is there anyone that's playing so well that you want to race them straight into a starting team? Or you'd be pretty happy to keep them with the the side that beat England? Um, I'm thinking... Uh, well, Herschel's not playing... Oh, no, but Faf has. Yeah, I don't know. I think Herschel might not, might not see the bench. Okay. But yeah, I, I think other I, I think there aren't really many changes. Reinach might leap from. I'm trying to think of yeah, other players looking, who might come in. Yeah. It's, I'm just giving the squad here, and like Giant Cheese is the only one who might fall off the bench, and like Reinach might leapfrog him on. Or, and yeah. And yeah, I mean, Larue's been playing. Yeah, we'll see in probably back in. Larue's been playing really well in Japan, so I don't think. As well as Fussy's been playing, I don't think Fussy's going to unseat Larue. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is a bit of a strange one because if there was someone who, like, locally was really playing their socks off and impressing that much, then it would create an interesting conundrum. But I don't think there's anyone who's playing that well who is yeah. creating this conversation about potentially displacing someone from the starting team from the World Cup final. So it seems like because no one's pushing hard enough that we're not going to see much of a change. And if there is, it sounds like it will be a surprise. So, you know, if they yeah. decide to go for Fassi or even Damien Willemse or someone like that instead of Billy Leroux, um, who we, to be fair, I guess, haven't seen much of, even though we hear he's been playing well in Japan, um, if they decide to go for one of those guys, it will be a big surprise. I think that's probably oh, one of the interesting things. Like, even the wings I was looking at over the weekend, uh, Roscoe Speckman and um, uh, Edward Vandermeer, just absolute freaks. They've had so many great attacking plays, but Vandermeer, who didn't even make the squad, um, and yeah. Speckman, who, you know, will probably get a test debut at some point uh, this year. Um, even those guys, I thought, well, as good as they're playing, it's still not Mopimpi or Colby. Like, I wouldn't put them in the starting team for the box like yeah. they, they just have such a great body of work and are still playing so mm. exceptionally so it, it's going to be pretty hard to force their way in yeah and even Spoo and Corsi who um who I think he, he had uh the number 14 shirt for a lot of the pre-build-up before the World Cup and Colby only sort of took it very late like he's yeah. a very good player himself so if anyone is going to force someone out of that starting lineup I think it will being Corsi. Um, he just, for me, as good as Beckman and um, Yao Penke, who's also in the squad, as good as they've been, it'll, they they have that explosiveness and that excitement, but at 
test level against the British and Irish Lions, it feels like Nkosi has the size advantage as well, which they'll just be a lot more comfortable putting in. That was one of the big areas that I think the Lions will try and target, because as I was looking through the squad, the only thing that stood out to me was, um, like Nkosi is quite solid, but um, Mpimpi is the only uh, outside back that they've uh, selected who's over six foot tall. Um, I guess all of Colby and Speckman and Panke, they're all, you know, sort of hovering around that 171 to 181. Whereas the Lions, they've selected, um, you know, Louis Rissamet, who's 191 centimetres, Duan Van der Merver's 193, um, Anthony Watson and Liam Williams, 188, uh, even Henshaw at outside centres, 193. So they've got, you know, some quite tall players. Is that an area you think they'd try and target, you know, just trying to play a bit more of an aerial game and seeing if they can get over the, you know, slightly shorter um, box outside backs? I mean, it's possible because, I mean, even my Pumpy who's tall enough, I mean, I remember him from Super Rugby. Yeah. He's never been the, the best under the high ball either. Like, mm-hmm. it's gen- it is something that I think outside, but it's also just, I think it's something that the, the coaching staff is probably 100% aware of as well and have co- all kinds of contingencies. Like, Colby's got quite a vertical leap on him, though. Like, I've seen him contest balls that he shouldn't be contesting. Yeah, him and Mapimpia have that, like, weird opposite where, given the builds, you'd think it should be opposite. But uh, Colby yeah. is really good in the air, especially for his size and Mapimpi's. To be fair to Mapimpi, like, when he first came on the scene, it was easily his weakest point, like his, um, yeah. his high ball skills and all of that. But he's come on in leaps and bounds. Um, that it's, I, I would still say it's his relative weakness, but it's no nowhere near as bad as it was when he first came on. But I, given that, I think for sure the Lions will try and target it um, with their strong kicking game and with their big wings. Like it's such it's such a obvious place that they can try and exploit. Um, I, I think I was just looking through the players, and the one player that I think uh, even during the 2019 World Cup I was hoping would be in the 23 is Jesse Creel because I think he's you know a, a pretty handy versatile uh, sorry versatile player to have on the bench he's a pretty good 23 but looking at the side I think the box will probably try and keep a 6-2 split it's hard to shift Francois Stain just because he covers everywhere but um, it, is Jesse Creel in a position that he could take that spot or is he just he's not quite versatile enough to to fill that role Yeah, it is a tough one just because the 6-2 split works so well for them. So if you have a scrum yeah. off in Jesse Creel, if um, if Pollard goes down, then you have to sort of do something pretty crazy like play Faf or Vili at Flyhoff. Um, so it's just such a risk. I mm-hmm. I, I can't see just him playing unless they, unless they go back to 5-3, mm-hmm. you know. But um, he, I mean, he does cover sort of 13, 14, 15, pretty comfortably. So he still he still covers a lot, but just those yeah. more inside backline positions will be uh, very vulnerable in that 6-2 split. But um, yeah, you never know what can happen. Um, and I guess it's disappointing. Like if he had been playing for the Bulls in uh, during this period and playing really well, I think he would be one of the guys pushing quite hard because I think also Ams. Um, um, performances since the World Cup haven't quite been as strong as they were pre-World Cup even though he's mm-hmm. still been good so if Jesse Krill was making more of a push I think he could even have been pushing for a starting spot Well, Just speaking of the Bulls, this is a bit that I don't really get is they've been the form team in South Africa yet 
they've got less players in the Springboks squad than the Sale Sharks. Like, there's more from one specific uh, English Premiership team than the South African you know, team of the Super Rugby Unlocked and the Curry Cup. So, uh, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how many of those players are on the verge, and if it weren't a Lions year, if they would be getting a bit more time. Players like Stravino Jacobs and um, Cornell Hendricks, like they've been playing you know, really quite well for the Bulls, but I guess there's still some legality issues with getting Hendricks in there. Um, the only other thing that stood out with that squad, and I don't really get this. Um, maybe you guys can shed some light. Why have they separated Jean-Luc Duprea and Reinhard Elstart as utility forwards when so many of those other Lucys can play multiple positions? So I think Jean-Luc's been playing lock a lot as well at Sale, hasn't he? So I think it might just be that he can transition from lock to loose forward as well, maybe. That's why they've maybe split him. And I'm not right. sure about Alstad, though. And I, I think that um, Peter Steff, who is the sort of obvious, you know, he's started playing lock, he moved to loose mm. forward. If he's not a yeah. utility forward, who is? I think just because he cemented himself so much as, like, the premier blindside um, yeah. they they're yeah. not even thinking about moving him around. Whereas both Jean-Luc Dupré and Reynard Alstad, if they come in, potentially you know they'll they'll cover both. And similarly to guys like Mostert, who he's down as a lock, but I think you know during the World Cup, I think he was pretty much second choice blindside. Um, mm. So uh, even I I also don't know to be honest with you why they're down separately as utility forwards. Um, but I think it's more just these new guys coming in capable of covering, whereas the old guys, we know where we want them, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it makes for a very interesting um, side anyway. I'm keen to see how they go. and It's nice to see um, eight debutants thrown in there and so many players that could do quite well. Okay. Um, I guess now having seen the squad, having seen the Lions about a month ago, what are the confidence levels like looking at this? I know that the Springboks haven't played for a while, and because of that, when I saw the Lions team, I you know, was thinking it would be a pretty comfortable Lions win at that point. But now that I'm looking at the side, really, I, if they get those you know, you know, a good spread of minutes for the Georgia Test and then maybe a few of the players playing the SA15 and um, some of the club games, I actually don't see a reason why it shouldn't be like a really classic test. Like This is... Um, a great squad they've assembled. So, how confident are you coming into this, Phil? I am pretty confident. I think um, going into the World Cup, uh, I was most worried about New Zealand and less worried about the Northern Hemisphere teams. But saying that, that Wales semi-final was the most uh, you know tense part of the whole tournament. And I think that we can probably expect some similar tense and close matches like that in this series. So not confident enough that I think it's going to be an easy easy win. Or, uh, I mean, it could be a 3-0, but I think if it's a 3-0, it's going to be two very close matches and then teams not caring as much about the third test. Um, but it could easily sway the other way I think and be 2-0 to the Lions just given that I I anticipate all the tests coming down to very fine margins it definitely doesn't feel like there will be any blowouts um, like there was at the start of that 
uh, New Zealand series or like there was at the end of the Australian series. Like they were not close games at all, but this does seem like it'll be close from the outset. Um, Matt, what about for you? Are you confident levels high? Um, yeah, I don't think I can say any, anything different from what Phil had to say. I think he pretty much summed it up exactly how I'm feeling as well, that I reckon we can take it, but yeah, it's going to be very tight. I think there's going to be like single-digit margins across the tournament. And look, I know we've kept you on for a while, so the Ruck Inspectors is running long. So I just have one last question, I guess, and this is because most of the audience on the rugby fixation side of this will be um, Australian fans. Why should a neutral supporter support the Springboks over the Lions? Like for those that are still sitting on the fence about who they're going to be going for this series, what would be the the reasons to go for the Springboks? Matt, I'll let you take this one. This is all yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it's the idea of like it's so the, it's like the North versus South. It's sort of the home nation. The the home nations should sort of all band together as, you know, as the various host nations. And so if if even though your nation's not hosting at this time, it's still it's still in your group and that is much like what if you're Irish, why should you support the British and Irish Lions? Like they are like it's just a a broader, bigger conglomerate side and we just happen to be instead of lumping all three sides together every four years we all just get a singular shot and i think we should all still back each other for our singular shots at it lovely because uh, it's been a g- genuine point of um question because i think a lot of wallabies fans will say two of the teams oh. that they struggle losing to are the Springboks and english just because how close the gap used to be previously and how far it seems now but um uh, look, after seeing this and after chatting to this, I'm I'm very much on the box bandwagon. I'm I'm keen to see them rip in and and get a a series win here. Yeah, yeah. I I think the only thing I would add to that is um, in terms of Springbok teams, I think this is a very sort of likable one. You know, I'm sure as Australian fans, you've come again come up against a lot of Springboks who sort of are not as likable. But if you look across this the World Cup winning team. From guys mm. like Khaleesi to Kitchoff and um, and Bongi, it's it's uh it's more I would I would say maybe this is blinded by you know rose tinted spectacles, but uh, I would say this team from a neutral's perspective just seems like it's a lot more likable than previous Springbok teams of the past. Oh, for sure. Like, I look at players what like Quagga and uh, and Fassi. I want them to do well. I want to see them get some game time and um you know really perform for the box. So. I'm I'm looking forward to see how they go. Sorry, what were you saying, Matt? I was going to say to Phil's point, would you say with Vermeulen dropping out, him him being most probably one of the most the more coarse and grating players in that squad, that the squads also become a lot more likable from an Australian's perspective. Because yes, like like is he always strikes me as not quite as bad as Dane Coles, but like he seems to be. The Dane calls of the SA squad, essentially, for lack of a better villain. He's always not yeah. as bad as calls. Yeah, it's funny, but between Dwayne, but then also like I guess the enforcer locks like Eben and uh, Snyman, they I guess uh, you know caused a lot of headaches yeah, for true. Aussie forwards. Oh yeah, true. Over the years. Actually, yeah, no, I think Australia's never gonna 
Australian fans are never going to support a side where Arches Neyman decided, you know, one lock who decided to square up against all 15 Wallabies. Yeah. And laugh about it, too. <laughs> yeah, just laugh in the face of all 15 Wallabies. I forgot about that for a second. You're he just looked like he was having such a good time. It's, um, I just, I can't picture Rob Simmons doing the same to the Springboks pack. I, I don't know what it is about him, but uh, I don't see that going quite the same way. But, you yeah, know, like, you're right. There are a lot of players in here that, you know, I really like the look of, and even, you know, players that have, you know, filled through my fantasy teams over the years, like Oxen Shea, I, I want to see him do well. Um, I want to see Lisa Milani, if he gets a crack at, like, I'd love to see him, uh, you know, just such an attacking threat and such a different player to um, um, in the centre channel. So, yeah, plenty to like about these guys, and, um, I'm, yeah, I'm very sold on this now. Whatever scepticism I had about supporting the box for the line series is um, well and truly gone. So, um, Good job, man. Matt also, Field, you, also, Arches Neyman is most probably the most likely one to have thrown the petrol on on that yeah <laughs> just of yeah. the names there i think he's most probably the one who did it yeah to, to go full circle i think he's definitely the one that thought oh this is a great idea let's you know liven this up and you know it has potentially put it in a bit of jeopardy for him and dylando uh, but manville thanks very much for uh, coming on rugby fixation for um reigniting the ruck inspectors i'm keen to get um you know some more of these throughout even uh, in the middle of or after the Lions series. Um, but I thought with it being the weekend after the box selection and with it being PSV's birthday, it's no better time to inspect rocks and just <laughs> lighten the load of two podcasts by combining them. So thanks very much for coming on, guys. That's a pleasure. Great. Thanks for having us.